I'm just going to be telling a story. Okay? It's a bit different. Um, I just think it's nice to sort of mix it up once in a while. I love writing stories, a couple of stuff. This one is based on a book called The Christmas Mystery. Okay, I've kind of adapted a little bit for our setting. Um, and obviously what that means is that the way we engage with this is a bit different. You're not expected to come in, you know, make notes and sort of think, okay, how do I apply this to my life? Okay, it's going to just be, what I'm hoping is that as we listen to this story, we come away with a sense of wonder. We come away with a sense of wonder that a story about a little baby born 2,000 years ago could travel across time, across the whole world, it could outlast empires, that it could overcome ideologies, it could become the defining narrative for so many lives around the globe. I think it's such a powerful story, not my story, the story of Jesus, and I'm hoping that by looking at it this way, we will come away just a little bit again reminded of the beauty of this thing that we hear every year. Okay? But this, my story starts on Christmas Eve last year, and to my horror, I found myself in, of all places, Harrods. I'd been searching across all of London trying to find a little plush toy from one of my nephews. And um, it was a little lamb. I think it was a part of a set. It was a very specific one that he wanted. And I'd been looking all over the place. And finally, I landed in Harrods. And I dug through all the piles. And I found it. And there I stood in the queue, nursing a headache that had been going on since the start of December, listening to the same Christmas songs that had been on repeat since the start of November, just thinking, oh my goodness, of all the times of the year, this is a, this sort of, you know, middle of Harrods, this consumer, you know, place of buying and selling is really the focus. And I just had to think, oh, my goodness, we've worked 12 years. Is this it? 12, sorry, 12 long months. Is this it? And I just thought, oh, my goodness, you know, and, and as I was feeling this, I just felt like something, however much I love Christmas, something wasn't right. And then, all of a sudden, as I was thinking of this, the little lamb in my arms began to wriggle. I looked down. The lamb looked up. And for a moment, our eyes locked. And then it let out the loudest bleat I've ever heard. And I flinched, and the fluffy little thing dropped to the ground and darted out of the store. Now, I can't say I knew exactly what I was doing, but I knew that the last thing I wanted to do was any more shopping. So I went after it. And uh, I dived through, sprinting through the shop until I reached the doors. Out in the street, I spotted the lamb heading through Knightsbridge, dodging through the cars and the traffic, uh, bumping through tourists, and I ran after it, doing everything I could to keep this little lamb in sight. The strange thing was that as I ran, I realized that it was bright out, which was weird, because when I'd gone into Harrods, it had been almost evening. The only lights had been the great decorative ones all over the front of the building, uh, but now it felt like the middle of the day. Then, just to make things even stranger, I heard, as I ran over Westminster Bridge chasing after this lamb, I heard the peals of Big Ben ringing out behind me. Instead of five or six, as I'd expected, it rang out a full 12 times. It was as if the hands of the clock had got so bored going the same direction all those years that it decided to go the other way. Now, I don't know how long I was running for, how long I was chasing after that little lamb, but when I eventually ran out of breath, I found that I was clear out of London, somewhere deep in Kent countryside. It was warm, and the lamb had stopped to munch on some little flowers. And um, it was on the side of the road, fuchsias, hydrangeas, lavender, summer bloomers, right in the middle of winter. I crept up to it, and I went to pounce on this thing, but as soon as I got close, the little thing was away again. I was about to give up. I put my hands on my hips. I threw my head back in disappointment, and then I saw it. 
up there in the trees, a bright, shining figure, white robe, glowing wings. Now, I am not very good at naming birds. I, don't, I can't tell the difference between a jackdaw and a crow. I can't tell the difference between a sparrow and a house martin. But I've read enough books to know an angel when I see one. You all right down there? He called out to me. You look a little tired. Well, what do you say to that? I uh, um, uh, was trying to get the lamb. Oh, you're not going to get at him. He's got twice as many legs as you, the angel said to me. And he's going to keep running all the way to Bethlehem. Bethlehem? Yeah, Bethlehem, you know, where Jesus was born. Sorry, pardon. Look, don't worry, the angel said. My name is Ephiriel, and if you're going after the lamb, then we're all heading the same direction. Might as well travel together, eh? Well, just then, the lamb seemed to realize I was distracted, and he set off again. I felt a strange impulse to be after it, and so, with the angel hovering behind me, I picked up the pace and got running. The roads were quieter than you think, but maybe it was because it was the holidays. So the lamb guided me down all these little lanes until around a corner came this grand old car. And I'm talking, like, you know, old car. The driver wore a hat and a coat, one of those little scarves that sort of flung behind him. And he had a great big black beard, and he honked his horn like one of those horns as he passed. I said to the angel, I said, you don't see, them like, you don't see cars like that anymore, do you? On the contrary, the angel said, I imagine that was quite new. Now, obviously, angels are very wise creatures, but this one clearly knew nothing about cars. But as I was thinking this, Ephiriel seemed to read my mind and asked, do you understand where we're going? You said Bethlehem, I replied. But do you know why we're going? Look, I just need to get that lamb as a gift. And you will, smiled the angel. But we're also going to welcome the baby Jesus into the world. Hmm. I think you missed the boat on that one, mate. We're a couple of millennia too late. That's the thing, the angel winked. We're not just traveling over 2,000 miles to Bethlehem. We're also traveling over 2,000 years back to the moment where God entered into human history in the form of a human child. Oh, I said, slightly confused. Look, he showed me his watch, and on it were no hours or minutes, just the year 1914. That we're a short way into our journey. We're just over almost 100 years. We're closer to the birth of Jesus. 1914. What we're in 1914. Isn't that the year of World War start of World War One? You're right, the angel said. All across Europe at this moment, soldiers from Britain are getting ready to fight against soldiers from Germany. There's all manner of evil and darkness coming, violence, killing. In some ways, it couldn't feel farther from the hope of that little baby born in a manger, promised to the world. But did you know that on Christmas Day, some of the soldiers put their guns down and met and shared gifts and played football together? Even in the midst of all that pain and suffering, the little bit of hope of heaven prevailed. Now, the angel said, speaking of missing a boat, we better hurry up or we'll miss ours. Now, this time the angel went ahead and caught up in this strange mystery. I just kept running, unable to quite put into words the thousands of questions jostling for room in my brain. It wasn't long before I could see the sea, blue and glistening over the horizon. The lamb had pulled away from me, but I couldn't seem to give up on it. We crested the last hill and slowed down as we approached the waters. Standing down on the shore next to a little rowing boat was a man dressed in a thick woolen tunic. In one hand, he held a shepherd's crook, and there in the other hand was the little lamb. Fear not, Ephiriel cried to me. He's one of us. I went to say hello, but as soon as we arrived, the shepherd just passed the lamb to me and started pushing the boat out into the water. I stopped. The angels started helping him, and they were almost afloat before they realized I wasn't moving. Are you coming? The angel cried back to me. I've, I've got the lamb. The shepherd shook his head and muttered to Ephiriel, look, I've, I've got to be in the fields when the angels announce the glad tidings of the birth of Jesus. I can't hang around here all day. Again, Ephiriel called out to me. 
It's a long way, I know, and it won't be easy. Look, it'll be Christmas soon. You, you're welcome to go back to the shops and the lights and all the busyness, or you can come and meet Jesus and welcome him into your world. The stable's going to stink, and there's not going to be any food or drink, but it is Christmas, and I think it's going to be the most exciting place to be. I looked down at the lamb. The lamb looked back up at me. And a moment later, the angel was rowing us through the waters towards France and backwards in time towards the birth of Jesus. As he rowed, he chatted away. Did you know that in the 6th century, a group of monks led by Augustine of Canterbury rowed their boat the opposite way to which we're going now? Filled with the love of God and the hope of the gospel, they were compelled to come to Britain and preach to the Anglo-Saxon king Ethelbert. We may only have traveled a little way, but the news of the birth of that little baby in a stable has traveled over land and sea right to the very edges of the world. Even after rowing so quickly across the channel, the angel still took the lead on the other side, gliding onwards through the 18th century, down through northern France towards the capital. Onwards through cobbled streets until we walked through Paris down the Champs-Élysées. I was a little bit disappointed to see that the Eiffel Tower hadn't been built yet. Um, but to make up for it, we wandered over to the Cathedral of Notre Dame, and it rose up in front of us. That cathedral has stood here for centuries, the angel continued, as if he was addressing a large audience of tourists all over the world. Churches and cathedrals have been built to point people back to the little Christ child who was born in Bethlehem. He was like a tiny seed pressed into the ground, which grew and grew into a whole field. And just like that, the glory of heaven spreads. As if he'd understood the awe and reverence in the angel's voice, the little lamb ran into the cathedral and the shepherd ran after him. Suddenly, a priest cried out angrily, the cathedral is not a common sheepfold. At this, the angel spread out his wings and stood before the priest. Do not be afraid. The pastor should not be dismayed. Rather, remember that Jesus was born in a stable and is called the good shepherd. At the sight of the angel, the priest fell to his knees and cried out, glory to God in the highest. But within a moment, we were away again, heading east out of the city and quickly across the countryside towards Germany. The countryside seemed to go on forever and ever, and only when we approached a broad river and were forced to stop that I realized a man dressed in splendid fine clothes had been running along with us. Good day, the man said as we stood on the banks of the Rhine, just shy of the city of Frankfurt. My name is Caspar, and I will be traveling with you. My journey goes on a little further than yours, as I must be in the east when the star arises, and then I'll follow it back to meet you at the birth of Christ. I had long since stopped being surprised by all the strangeness of everything that was happening, and instead just shook the man's hand and tried to smile. He turned to Ephraim and asked the time, and the angel showed him his watch, saying, 1517. Ah, a time of great change and upheaval here in Germany, the wise man exclaimed. Off to the east, in a little university town called Wittenberg, Martin Luther is nailing a list of 95 things that he thinks the church needs to do better. He doesn't know it yet, but his words will be seen as a direct challenge to the leader of the church, the Pope, would ultimately tear the whole church in half. Is he doing the right thing, I asked, trying to remember what I'd learned in my GCSE RE. How can we know? The story of God coming down to earth to give his life for his people is one so achingly beautiful and profoundly magnificent that people like Luther and the Pope are willing to sacrifice so much to make sure it is told properly and its message is heard. When he grew up, Jesus taught his disciples about a man who found a pearl in a field and realizing just how valuable it is, sold everything he had and bought the field to lay claim to the pearl. The baby in a manger draws together shepherds and angels and peasants and kings. And in the midst of the darkness, he offers them hope. It is for all of us to ask how much would we give for that hope. As we've been talking, the angel had disappeared and reappeared with another small rowing boat. 
We piled in and continued on our journey, moving faster and faster. I glimpsed the numbers on the watch whizzing by through the 14th, 13th, 12th, 11th century. We had left the flat countryside and found ourselves passing through the mountains. Up ahead was a monastery. The time is 1079 after Christ, Ethereal whispered to me. We've made good time. The monas that monastery was built around the grave of the holy St. Morris, who was killed here in this valley in the year 285 because he refused to worship the Roman gods. He had weighed the cost of following Jesus and found it to be worth everything. As he was talking, a monk came through the front doors and seeing the angels proclaimed, Gloria Dei! Same to you, mate, I smiled, and away we went again, faster still, through Switzerland into northern Italy. As we ran, I couldn't help but notice the lushness of the green fields that stretched out across the land. The wise man, too, was filled with amazement at the sight. No two blades of grass were exactly alike, he said to me. No two flowers. The God of heaven is so full of imagination that every now and again it bubbles over and a little spills out onto the earth. He made it for the first two children, Adam and Eve. They would play in it like one big garden, climbing the trees, swimming in the river. And then they ate from the one tree God told them not to, the tree of knowledge. So that they, uh, and they grew up no longer innocent, no longer playful. But God's clever. God gave them children and then grandchildren and so on and so on. So they'd always be children to play in his world. And in the midst of it, God gave his own child so that through him, everyone could become like children again, innocent and playful, able to find the joy that God created them for. And still we kept running, the angel clock ticking backwards through the years till somewhere in the seventh century, we found ourselves amid some ruins halfway along the Dalmatian coast. The angel's watch says 688 and we stopped for a moment to inspect an old building. Long before the Roman Empire was split in two, this was a palace belonging to the Roman Emperor Diocletian. Diocletian was born here about 250 years after Christ, and in his lifetime he closed all the Christian churches and persecuted the Christians cruelly. When he died, he was buried right here, but after a whole lifetime of trying to destroy the good news of a little baby who came to rescue humanity from their sins, a few years after his death, the whole of the Roman Empire became Christian. Bored of the angel's lecture and eager to reach Bethlehem, the little lamb bleated crossly and darted out of the ruins and on with our adventure. It wasn't long till we were sprinting through Athens, and this time, without stopping, Ethereal pointed to a mountain just north of the city. That mountain is Mount Olympus. In the olden days, the Greeks believed the gods lived there. They were called Zeus and Apollo, Athena and Aphrodite, but now 569 years have passed since the birth of Jesus, and no one believes in those gods anymore. Somehow the world's rejected powerful gods who hurl lightning bolts down and play with the lives of mortals, but instead have become enamored with the god who became mortal, throwing himself down to give hope to the hopeless. Keeping the sea to our right, we weaved in and out of the centuries until we reached the large city of Byzantium with great stone walls, and at the gates stood two soldiers with swords. Halt! they shouted, but Ephiriel again spread his wings. Fear not, he said. We are on our way to Bethlehem to pay homage to the Christ child. You must allow us to pass. The soldiers dropped their weapons and threw themselves on the ground. And again, we were on our way through the city and out the other side, eventually following a dirt path up a hill and stopping above a little town. The time is 4.51 after the birth of Jesus. And in that little town, the angel began telling me, the biggest conference in the history of the Christian church is being held. This town is called Chalcedon, and priests and bishops from the whole of the Christian world have poured in. What are they discussing there? I asked. They are trying to decide whether Jesus was God or man. Which way will they go? Well, after long discussions, they are going to decide that he was 
both. Does it matter? I asked. Well, if he was just a man, then the story of Christmas is not a hopeful one. That's the tragedy. Another little baby born in horrendous poverty and a world unable to respond to all the problems and evil around it. If he was only God, then he would have no way to relate or understand the lives we all live. Instead, he stands in the middle, drawing us together. I'm still not sure I understand how he can be both. That's okay, the angel said. It's a hard teaching. But a harder one still is the teaching he gave us that we should love one another. And amid all these discussions and arguments about what is right or true, many of these people will forget that teaching. Of all the things worth fighting for, the truth about Jesus is up there. But there's no point in fighting for truth if we abandon love in the midst of it. I was struggling with this one, but I wasn't given long to reflect before we continued our journey. We ran over the high plains of Phrygia, passing salt lakes where the birds could stand on the water. Occasionally, we came across a bear or a, or a, a wolf, but we simply sidestepped a week or two and managed to avoid them. I noticed that we had been joined by a number of shepherds and, with them, a small flock of sheep. The little lamb still bounded on ahead, trying its best to overtake Ephiriel. And at one point, the lamb got caught up in the angel's legs, tripping him over. And while he recovered, we stopped just outside a tiny village where some of the houses were carved into the walls. Ah, the angel said, it's 322, and this little town is called Myra. The apostle Paul came here en route to tell the people of Rome about Jesus. He founded a small Christian community, and 200 years later, in the midst of that community, a man named Nicholas was elected bishop of Myra. In the town lived a young girl who was very poor because her father had lost everything he owned. She wanted to get married, but her father had no money for her dowry. Bishop Nicholas wanted to help the girl, but he knew her family were too proud to accept any money. In the middle of the night, he crept down to her house and threw a bag of coins through her window. Could have knocked her out, I replied. The angel grinned. Well, it didn't stop there. He thought it was such great fun to throw gifts through people's windows that he kept on doing it. And when he died, many legends were told about him, and he became known as St. Nicholas or Santa Claus. And just like flowers and children and Christmas, generosity is part of the overflow of heaven. that ripples outwards. It brings joy to the giver and the receiver. It makes your veins fizz with happiness. God generously gave the gift of his son to the world, and ever since the ripples have not stopped spreading. The angel had clearly planned the route from then so that we avoided as many big towns and cities as possible. It took us almost a century to navigate Turkey. We slipped into Syria as we passed and passed the city of Antioch. Caspar, the wise man, pointed and said, it was here that the followers of Jesus were first called Christians. Before they had been seen as Jews who had followed a new prophet, but here they were gaining a new identity, leaving behind the old ways and grabbing hold of the great new thing that God was doing. Not long after, on a straight Roman road, Ephiriel said to me, it was here that Jesus appeared to the Apostle Paul. Well, he wasn't called Paul then. Just Saul, he was one of the most enthusiastic persecutors of Christianity. He hated Christians. But then one day, he met Jesus, and everything changed. After that, he spent the rest of his life traveling the world, telling everyone he met about the hope he'd found in Jesus. I looked around to see that it wasn't just me and Casper nodding at the angels' stories, but that two other wise men had joined us, each one as magnificently dressed as Casper. They had just started to talk amongst themselves, reflecting on the incredible words of the angel, when the little lamb began to bleat impatiently and led us all down into Israel. Stories came thick and fast now. Here's where Jesus fed 5,000 people. Here's where he calmed a storm. Here's where he healed a blind man. And it wasn't just ethereal talking. Flying above us and declaring the great things that God had done was a whole host of angels, each one excited as we drew closer to the birth of Christ. The angel watched said 71 years after Christ, and up ahead lay the ruins of a destroyed city. The angel shook his head. It's Jerusalem. Only a year ago, the Roman emperor Titus led the destruction of that city. 
and in the midst of it, the temple of God. Every Christmas, we angels sing glory to God and peace to all men, but no one ever seems to get it. As we passed Jerusalem towards Bethlehem, the buildings seemed to be piecing themselves back together. The closer we got to Jesus, the more everything seemed to be fixed and restored. Way up ahead on the road, I spied two people, a man and a woman walking slowly. The woman was heavily pregnant and clearly struggling. A hush came over the angels, the shepherds, and the three wise men. Mary and Joseph, Gabriel whispered. And then, as if practicing his lines, he began to say, Fear not, for I bring you good, glad tidings of great joy, which shall be for all the people. Fear not, for I bring you glad tidings of great joy. Caspar, too, had started whispering, Where is he that is born the king of the Jews? For we have seen his star. Where is he that is born the king of the Jews? For we have seen his star. Some of the other angels began singing quietly, practicing their parts. Glory to God in the highest and on earth. Peace, goodwill to all men. Slowly, they all dispersed. The angels and the shepherds the hillside and the kings into the east, moving so fast through time and space, they were gone in almost an instant. And then there I stood, in the middle of the world, between Europe and Asia and Africa, in the middle of history, and as the light faded from the sky, the middle of the night. I followed the little lamb all the way down into the village until I found myself standing outside a stable, no more than a cave dug into a wall. The smell was bad, and the lamb had hesitated outside. And when I reached it, it leapt up into my arms. A dim light was shining from the stable, and I could just hear the beginnings of a child's first cry. It scared me to enter into a moment of such intimacy. But I looked down at the lamb, and the lamb looked back up at me, and filled with a hope and an excitement I'd never known before, I entered the stable. good to pray. I'm kind of just hoping that as we reflect on this, that just the idea that this tiny event, tiny, someone being born, a peasant, someone insignificant, unimportant, yet filled this incredible cosmic significance, changing all of history, changing the world, changing the future, changing the past, God intervening in human history means that we now, 2,000 years, do all of this. So yeah, I just want to pray that God kind of speaks that into our heart that this Christmas we are filled with that hope, with that joy, with faith and excitement about everything he's done. So yeah. Father God, I thank you so much for this incredible, um, incredible truth that you so loved the world that you gave your only son that whoever believes in you will not die but have eternal life. I thank you that you changed everything that moment you entered to the world, Lord. I just pray that you will speak to us as we read the scriptures, as we pray, as we meet together in church, as we reflect on the nativity story. Lord, you will speak it to our hearts and we will be enlivened and given life from this, Lord. And that it will be something that infects the people around us. Thank you, Lord, for everything you've done for us. Thank you that, that from, the, from the nativity, we, it comes all the way through to the cross, Lord. And that is our hope and our salvation. So we thank you again, Lord Jesus, and we praise you. We just want to lift up your name. In your name, Lord Jesus. Amen. It'd be great if we could stand. We'd just like to respond in worship. I'll hand over to Ben. Light of the world, you 
step down into darkness open my eyes let me see